0: All right. The um, the basic question that you're asking has the phrase "all day long" in it. Like, can I do this all day long, or how do I do that all day long? And the answer is is that um, that's not going to happen even if that's our intention and that the likelihood is is that people are going to wind up in bad feelings because they can't remember and that a better training is um, the training of sati so that it comes back when we need it most and as we train that way that means i only really need it several times a day until my radar goes really high, and um, I begin to see dukkha more and more. And as I see dukkha more and more, that means that that's the time that sati is needed. When it's needed most is right in the face of dukkha. Yeah. Okay. So. We, we could say that the all day long quality of it eventually comes to the point that it's still not all day. What it is is that uh, we're constantly on guard for Dukkha, or that we are on guard for Dukkha quite often. Okay. And that as we train more, not only do we get more expert in seeing things that used to not be thought of as Dukkha, like junk thoughts a lot of students don't see the dukkha in just junk thoughts just letting the mind ramble on um that some people call it discursive thought that in fact um this is a this is a major point about the first jhana is that the key to it is to be free from the hindrances that without freedom from the hindrances we can't do even meta we can't do it because the mind is hindered from being able to do it so the point then is to be on guard for the hindrances because when we are free from hindrances then we have the primary ingredient first jhana right then and there and that in fact the um the suka co- kind of comes in with the relief of coming out of the random thoughts in the random mind like well i don't have to think about that anymore Right now, I don't have to think about that. <clears throat> An example, going back to the kid who left his uh, homework book at school. Um, there are some things that he could do. One thing uh, that, in fact, I see done here more in Thailand than would be done in the U.S., and that is is that the mommies will call each other. That mom knows who the other moms are in this class and also the kids know each other and they've got cell phones now. So there's something that can be done about about the issue of the homework. But let us say that in the situation where you can't do anything about it, which would be the example of, let us say, going to the bank or going shopping or going uh, to school tomorrow or whatever, that we're not there now so if the child could remember that oh i am not at school now and i cannot do my homework i will have to deal that tomorrow whatever tomorrow brings i can handle that the question is is can i feel really good right now
1: so i have um, a kind of clarification on my question so did you want to finish that point or can I no,
0: let's question? let's go with the clarification and head down that hole. Okay. <laughs> so.
1: Okay, wait. Let me see if I can organize my question in a way that, because I have actually like three or four questions, but I might be able to. They might overlap.
0: Oh, don't. I don't care. <laughs> okay.
1: Um. So. Okay. So, so my own experience is that I now very rarely go into rabbit holes in my head. It's very rare. It happens very rarely now that I'll spend longer than say, you know, a a couple minutes on anything and often usually far less than that in terms of, you know, rabbit holes. It still happens sometimes, but it's, um, I can usually catch it
0: it no longer is hours before I catch it, let's say that. It's usually pretty fast. Isn't, isn't that marvelous? I mean, I can see the big smile on your face. I mean, that—that that is what we're talking about, is the relief. And the knowledge of that relief from not having the mind go down those rabbit holes. Yeah. That's, t- that's the relief that I'm talking about. And I yeah, can see and, it that.
1: Yeah, and <laughs> so typically I would say that you know, with with exceptions, typically I'll catch it within a few seconds. Um, well, at least from my understanding, within a few seconds. Or within a few seconds that it has unpleasant body sensations associated with it. Maybe it's below the surface and I'm unaware of it before then. But in terms of the gross sort of um, dukkha, it's usually pretty fast. So, yeah, and like I said, like it still happens, but it happens not very much in comparison to before what has happened a couple of times is that after a sit the first jhana will maintain even some PT will maintain when I'm off the cushion and I guess my question is is that sort of the long-term trajectory that that kind of jhana not just pretty much being outside of gross defilements, but actually a sort of higher level or a, yeah, like an actual jhana where you actually have energetic sort of feeling and that kind of thing. Is that, is that when you say that first jhana could be maintained off the cushion, is that what you're referring to?
0: Yes. And what I would say then that, in the experienced first jhana. And when I say experienced first jhana, let's back up and talk about that all of the stages that the Buddha ever talks about, he always talks about it in the sense of the path and the fruit. So there's the path of uh, Sotapan and the fruit of Sotapan. There is the path of first jhana and then the fruit of the first jhana. Okay? The path of the uh the path of of the beginning child who's in his say second or third year of piano lessons, his path is practicing that piece of recital music, and then the fruit is the applaud at the recital okay mm-hmm. now we're not when we're talking about fruit here, we're not necessarily talking about pity. That in fact, that those good, really great body sensations that in fact, that's the reason for sports entertainment, not just in ancient Rome with the gladiators and having, uh, um, you know, life over, uh, uh, life and death decisions, but also in, in, uh, ruled sports games. People will yell and cheer and dance. You know, There's a whole lot of body sensation in the beginning, and then it mellows out. So let us use a a new word here that we could call, uh, in fact, it's quite common word, but let's look at it for a second. It's called peace of mind. To be at peace of mind, this is what we're looking for is the fruit of 1st John. The fruit of first jhana is peace of mind, okay? Now, peace of mind has, uh, has aspects of, of pity because it does still give you the quality of I can do. It's the attitude. Pity is really the attitude. Many people don't experience that pity until they actually uh, do the job because the job then is the confirmation that I can do the job. Having done the job is the only confirmation for the actual being able to do the job until you've done it so many times, you know that the next time I've got this wired, okay? That's what we mean by right attitude, is that I've done this so many times that I've got the next one wired. But in the beginning, we get that great sensation of, I can do it, I can do it. Okay, so, Um, sorry. So let me, let's continue down that for just a moment. I've got I got an analogy. Have you ever heard of. Uh, gosh, it's the Harlem Globetrotters, and they had one star uh, Meadow lemon mark or something like that. I think I've got his name kind of twisted around. But he he was a. Um, uh, an exhibitionist basketball player. And he was so good at it. That instead of going into professional games. The Harlem Globetrotters actually became Globetrotters. And they would go around to various places in high schools. And and play the teams. And whatnot. And it was always a joke. Because... Uh, 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 this guy was so much better than everybody else that he would actually help them to to, uh, to he would you know assist them in making the basket on the other team. Yeah. He would help the other team make make scores and everybody like like that kind of thing. Okay, this is what we're talking about: is the confidence. Now the confidence that he has of making that basket, he has done that so many times that he doesn't have that thrill. Anymore, especially now that he's out on exhibition. The thrill was when he was in competition. Okay. There will come a time when we no longer are in competition of can I do it or not? Or can I get into that state or not? We know that we can, but now it's no longer as, let us say, as spectacular as it used to be. And so... Uh, the pity becomes a whole lot more of confidence, and a whole lot less of the excitement. yeeha, I can actually do it, but it's still
1: first jhana even after that but, it goes down.
0: Yes, and you could say then that that's the, then the fruit of the first jhana is now the peace of mind or the sukka Or yeah, this is so nice. Okay. Okay. So it's got a peace of mind quality to it now. Um there will be times and moments like in activities, where the mind is engaged in other things other than let us put it in a list of things in the wholesome category and the things that are unwholesome category, and then a a, a thing of irrelevant, okay? So the irrelevant part will look aside the. The unwholesome would be thoughts of the past, thoughts of the future, thoughts of jobs that need to be done, thoughts of work that has to be done, thoughts of uh, a call that has to be made, thoughts of shopping that needs to be done, anything that's got to do with the future, or the past, or thoughts of someplace else. Okay, thoughts of someplace else. That's all you can put in as hindrances, because you can see that those would be hindrances. And now thoughts of be here now, thoughts of the Dhamma, these are wholesome thoughts. And in fact, thoughts of the Dhamma here now, and including and especially thoughts of Metta and thoughts of gladdening the mind, those are very wholesome thoughts. But there will still be most of the day that you will be spending in another kind of thought. And we can can list those thoughts in categories like rituals and activities. Okay, for instance, when you're at work, when you're looking in a an example in a microscope and you're studying something and you're looking at something, you are neither in uh, wholesome thoughts that get that get you and keep you in first jhana, nor are you worried about the job or the boss coming you're not in the microscope worried about the boss coming you're just doing your job and not worried about the boss coming and when you could there are times when while you're looking in the microscope you can still remember to take a deep breath and say you know this is so much fun looking in this microscope and then bring the mind back okay So this is the quality that we're looking for, that we don't expect you to be in 1st John, and no one expects to be in 1st John all the time because that's critical. What we need to say is, is that we can remember often, and when we come over the threshold, while I do feel really nice, then we can revisit that on a regular basis, even though we do have thoughts of activities. Okay, so.
1: Okay, so then when you're not engaged in something like work or something like that, Mm -hmm. then one might be able to maintain first jhana for a a large fraction of the time. Is that. I don't want to make it into a goal oriented thing, but I'm just trying to understand the direction we're going.
0: All right. Uh, When we use words like constantly, consistently, and other things like that, we're still talking about time that moves, like a clock moves around. And there's a much better way of looking at it is like the old IBM clocks uh, that every minute, or sometimes the grandfather clocks, is that they at one minute it'll go. Invented another minute ago. Click. Okay. This is kind of the way that we're thinking about it now. Because the Western mind has gotten itself into a thing called continuous time. And it comes out of expressions of all day long. Even the song all night long. He's not doing it all night long. Okay. Right? He's not doing it all night long. I mean, nobody could do it all night long. <laughs> But the song is talking about a feeling of all night long and and but there were moments where things clicked during that night. This is what we're beginning to think about now is is that we want to have sati there. Like the beating of the drum or that clock tick and it's going to be regular It's going to happen on a regular basis. Rather than continuously first John and then what you want to do is to keep going into it to get the uh, the skill to be developed it, uh, is it, it's a secondary skill to maintain it and we're still not talking about maintaining it for long periods of time that is actually the right way to do it is to practice for the skill of coming into first John easily. Okay, so. Okay, just like you just remember.
1: Yeah, okay. So that that comment about the continuity would also apply to sitting practice. So I guess my question is, in the same way that one might be able to be in first jhana with respect to all the characteristics of first jhana, you know, maybe not an entire sit, but it's a common feature of a sit One might be able to have first jhana be a common feature of their daily life.
0: All right, let's bring this back now. Um, let's use the example of the breath, okay? All right, if we're going to have sati on the in breath and sati on the out breath, that means that we have uh, uh, an opportunity to. Re-establish first jhana on the in-breath and re-establish it on the out-breath. This is what I'm talking about, is that constantly renewing it as opposed to maintaining or sustaining it. Okay, but when I think about... Okay, is this first jhana? All right. You you remember the old telephone uh, uh, commercial where he was walking around trying to get a cell phone connection. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Can you hear me now? OK, so that's the way that we're looking. And a lot of people would go around saying he is constantly going around asking here. we uh, Can you hear me now? Or in fact, that wasn't the case at all. He'd be in this location. Then he would be in that location. But he was unremitting and kept testing places this is a a better example of what we're practicing for rather than constantly asking can you hear me now 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 it's more of whenever we think of it can you hear me now yeah or in that case do you feel good (laughs) right now okay but my experience it's too much of a goal and we we actually wanting to have it all the time will be a hindrance for you having it okay
1: okay so i am and, and i understand that point i'm just trying to understand so the way i'm understanding this in the same way that so i can get into first jhana most sits okay when i meditate with the you know characteristic PT and all this kind of thing, and this is, um, you know, and not a lot of distracting or unwholesome thoughts and all that. Um, for me, it doesn't happen immediately. I can't just take one breath and be in that state. It's more the case that maybe in a, a, you know, a few minutes of being, you know, a few minutes of not having unwholesome thoughts, I guess. And then I'll kind of go into that jhana if that if this makes sense what i'm saying and so absolutely that's the death by definition okay so like i wouldn't be able to slip into that in just one breath during the day but do you get what i'm saying i'm
0: just trying to understand I like, do. okay and i and and um some pianists before a concert have to work themselves up other pianists can walk right up to a piano and just start playing like this, you know? Okay. They just walk into a room. They've never been in that room before. They don't know anything about that room and they're okay, doing so some of business. Entering they walk into first that John room uh, and, and just start immediately, okay. right. There is a yeah. time when um, it becomes easier and easier to get into it. This is the skill that we want to work. To operate with rather than thinking about being in jhana all the time, we want to think about how nice it is to keep getting back into jhana. Okay. Okay. Uh yeah, the the mind kind of works with events like that. So uh taking great joy into ah, there it is again, and ah, there it is again. And ah, there it is again. Okay, so it's that, un, uh, that it's the repeating quality to it that we're looking at as opposed to consistently. Even when you're going to be drinking a milkshake, you just don't gulp the whole thing down, you sip on it. Okay. Okay. And so you on it in the sense of, yeah, this this, uh, breath is a really nice one. I can do this. I can get myself out of whatever I was in a moment ago. And so uh, looking at it from the sense of relief. Okay. Okay. So in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out is the way that we're looking at it rather than trying to be in it all the time. Okay, so
1: can I can I say something and you tell me if it's consistent with what you're saying? Mm-hmm. So, the idea is to to try to not stray too far from first jhana during the day. To realize when one is straying, because that is equivalent to having unwholesome thoughts. When one realizes that, they make an effort to you know, um have wholesome thoughts arise and appreciate that and continually do this. When one continues to do this, one will be closer to um will be closer to first jhana throughout the day and may actually be in first jhana in some portions of the day. And in Mm -hmm. that way daily life or off the cushion starts getting more similar to on the cushion practice is that
0: so that it doesn't even matter anymore okay okay yes uh that's that's a good point getting um taking the joy of coming back into it there is a term called access concentration and this term access concentration didn't show up until thousand years after the Buddha, or something like that but it does have the value of uh, in fact let's use the word access rather than concentration because in fact it does talk about samati but what we're talking about is access then to the factors so that when you bring those factors together, you can bring them together easily because you have easy access to them. Okay, so the uh, the easy access then would be to have sati so that we can remember. So the skill of sati is there. It may not be in play right now, but it's there readily and available. The next one would be uh, to to gladden the mind so that we can get ourselves into a state of sukha with pity and to have the mind fit for work. So we have the jhana factors and that every one of the jhana factors is, let us say, better off than it was when we first started practice, that the skills have been developed, but they're not all in play right now but because they're, they're available, we can bring those factors together just as soon as we remember. As soon as we remember, all of the factors come together and it comes together with kind of that relaxed. ah, why well, isn't so nice? Often brings a chuckle also just. Because ah. everything is so good. And we can bring those factors together like that. So, we need to investigate each one of these factors on a kind of a regular basis. How close am I, for instance, to getting myself into a state of satisfaction right now? Or can I do it right now? So, So is that the
1: same or a different question from asking how close am I to first jhana right now?
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Well, no, we want to actually, that's an investigation question That's useful. In other words, what genre factors am I missing right now? If I'm not in first jhana, then what factors are missing? But basically, instead of asking that question uh, in, in a long detailed searching kind of way, it can happen really quickly. Almost like one, two, three, four, five. Mm-hmm. Could you and list the
1: factors? Sorry, I don't know off the top of my head the the factors for the first jhana.
0: The factors for the first jhana: number one, and the big deal is that the mind is in wholesome thought states, as opposed to unwholesome or junk thought states. And
1: let me just ask a follow up on that. So, is one of the characteristics of the wholesome thought? that they are, they're devoid of at least gross craving.
0: They are, and, and in fact, as you progress, they've become uh, free from even more and more subtle okay. craving. So that in fact, when the craving's gone, we can truly say, wow, this is so nice. It is so nice to be out of not wanting anything. It really no, does feel good to be satisfied. So when one has,
1: like, I know that when I have metta or when I'm in a jhana state, I feel, yeah, I don't have that sort of feeling like I'm getting pulled at. And I'm guessing that that is that sort of feeling is basically the characteristic of these wholesome, these wholesome thoughts that we're talking about.
0: That is such a brilliant way of saying it being pulled at i like that because that's in fact this the normal state of mind that people are in that we're always being pulled in this direction or pulled in that direction or whatnot like that and as we get better and better at it we start dropping these lines these um uh hook lines um, yeah and when we get to the point when there's nothing pulling on us
1: yeah okay, so, so some stuff is starting to click a little bit, so so, yeah, so I guess when one's in a wholesome state because it is devoid of that pulling mm-hmm. that when that pulling is present, it becomes more obvious that it's present, right, so like it becomes mm-hmm. obvious yeah, so like, part of my curiosity is the interaction among this and. And um yeah, I guess insights in terms of understanding the mind better. And it seems like if you're in a state, a lot of the time in which there isn't this tugging at you, whenever there does become tugging at you, your mind can probably recognize that happening more easily. That's exactly
0: it. OK, that's exactly it. This is you've heard me talk about Murphy's law before, right? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong and it'll go wrong at the worst possible moment. That's when we need Shanti is to wake up when those pulls start.
1: Yeah. OK, so then. So so one of the, the things I, I'm curious about, and I guess maybe I just maybe said it um, the right way. But I was curious about, yeah, the interaction of this and insight. And it seems like the interaction basically is if you're living a lot of your day without a lot of gross craving, you start to understand the craving better when it does come. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you you get better at it because it's more subtle. You can actually see it coming at a distance. Let us say that it wallops you after five seconds, but it grows on you. But it starts at the first second. If you can recognize it at the first second, it won't grow on you and it won't grab you without, uh, within five seconds. Normally, we have to actually work ourselves up into or talk ourselves into feeling bad. And yeah. once we get used to that and get really good at it, we can, we can work ourselves up into feeling bad with one, one thought moment. Yeah, I've been there. Um, okay, okay, so... All right, but that gives you the clue, then, that if you keep practicing to gather the jhana factors together and to keep gathering them together and keep remembering to bring the jhana factors together, then pretty soon, in one thought moment, you could whoop, There you are. Okay. So... Because you can come into first jhana so easily, we don't have this... We don't have the... Um, uh how to say it the intention or the orders or even the tug or the drive to be in first john all the time because we can get into it anytime okay so then as a
1: as a kind of follow-up would you say that understanding something like you know dependent origination that this becomes a lot more clear too because because if one is usually operating in a state without a lot of tugging, when there is tugging, the kind of anatomy of that tugging becomes more clear throughout the day. Precisely so. Okay. Exactly. Right. A lot of we things that see- you said for a long time was starting to be more clear to me for some reason. Okay.
0: Well, I expect that with everyone. Yeah. Okay. There's only one other option and that was that i was way too slow <laughs> <laughs> yeah it takes a while i mean the Buddha Dasen would keep rubbing this stuff in and eventually it soaked in
1: yeah yeah like just how these things are connecting that this is becoming more clear to me how like the insight stuff is connecting with the daily mindfulness stuff that that's making more sense to me mm-hmm. um And like I told you, I, I, yeah, I think it's, I had these insight about mind states a few weeks ago, and this is kind of like making a lot of things click a lot better for me right now. Um, okay, so I guess, um, yeah, I had another question.
0: All right. And see, let's before you go to the next question, let's at least say again, congratulations, give yourself some nourishment, give the dog a bone. Okay, congratulate yourself, things are beginning to put together. Isn't that marvelous? I mean, think about it, this is really marvelous that things are finally coming together for you. Well, it's funny how simple it is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's it. But we have had a mountain of stuff that was wrong. It's not so much that the that the truth is hard to see by itself, it's that the truth is hard to see because it's covered in a mountain of shit. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so all right, so congratulations for digging down through all of that crap and getting down to what's going on. That's excellent. Yeah. So don't get into thinking, I don't I, I want it all the time. Get into the, into the idea that I can do that anytime I want to. All I you have know, to do is remember. You know what's funny is that, and I don't want to speak too
1: soon because it's only been a few weeks, but yeah, there's been this kind of gradual thing that's in terms of like there's certain thoughts that come up less, certain negative thoughts that come up less. And then there's a couple that only the last few weeks have kind of They've come up, but they don't have the grab that they used to. Mm-hmm. And so this mm-hmm. is kind of, I think it's kind of my realization about this—the how everything is just dependent on mind state, which is obviously very related to what we're talking about now. But like one's perception of their life and their situation and all these things, it's just a function of current thoughts in your mind, current mood or mind state or whatever. And then it spits out perception basically. Mm-hmm. So anyway yeah stuff stuff is clicking
0: so coming to a state of a peace of mind yeah where things are at rest everything is hunky-dory everything is all right uh and um it it has a a basic sense of relief like wow i struggled for so long and now i don't have to struggle anymore yeah And all of the work is over. I I mean, now I can finally rest. I'm retired, finally. (laughs) Why do we have to wear our tires out before we retire? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, go ahead. You
1: had another question. Yeah, so my other question was... So, the thing that... I've noticed in your teaching that differs the most substantially from teachers in the West is the, and we've talked about it before, but I just kind of want to have make sure that I understand correctly. So, so it's the, it's the relationship to the hindrances, so there are a lot of people in the West, you know, a lot of them write books, a lot of them are well-known figures who have the position that, you know, when one is regardless of the mind state, one should accept that mind state and not have aversion toward it. And the the rationale given is that if you have aversion toward negative thoughts, then that ends up having the effect of um yes, yeah, suppression, which has psychological problems associated with it. And and so a lot of these same teachers would also have the perspective of regardless of the mind state, regardless of the thought, you know, just kind of observe it. All so, right.
0: so I got that. Okay. I so, know what you're talking about.
1: So, okay, so, go ahead. Finish your yes. question, if you can. But another thing that's talked about, as far as I understand a lot in Buddhism, is the concept of equanimity. And so what I'm trying to understand, so it's, it's clear to say that their position is clearly one of equanimity toward everything. And let me try to understand the way that you teach, just to make sure that I'm understanding the teaching, which is that... Equanimity is an important thing for things that one can't control, like external things. But if one can practice and get good at um, throwing out hindrances, you, there's no reason not
0: to. You are spot on here. Um, then, in fact, you're, walk, you're walking right up into the introduction from that, uh, uh, the, the AA prayer, I think some people call it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change. And the courage to change the things that I can change that need to be changed and the the wisdom to know the difference. Okay, so that kind of practice that you're talking about is, in fact, the practice of just step one. To just accept everything uh, and, and do it with serenity. And that's like the same thing as saying um let us say that the child has stepped on uh a a piece of wood such that it put a splinter in the foot or maybe a piece of glass is in the foot now the child does not want to have mommy or the doctor to take that piece of glass out so the child is going to say I'm going to put up with that piece of glass in my foot And he's reminded of that piece of glass in his foot with every step. As opposed to sitting down and having the patience and the courage to remove that piece of glass, let the foot heal. And now with a healed foot, he can dance and prance and live a wonderful life. Yeah. So that's it. Um, Now, uh, there's some more detail to it, and let me get into that. Most of those um, teachings um, either start with or eventually wind up in uh, the Satipatthana Sutta. That the Vasudhimagga is kind of based on the Satipatthana Sutta, that... um, uh besides the ordinary retreat that they give they also have what they call a satipatana sutta or a satipatana retreat 10 days Um, so satipatana is really really famous in burma and in some places in in north thailand the satipatana sutta actually spends quite a lot of time most of the sutta in kaya nupasana, or in the body. This is where they're talking about the grasping and reaching and touching and all of that kind of stuff as part of the exercise of what to do. But it's only in the fourth tetrad, in the uh, dhamma nupasana, where they're talking about objects of the mind, and they go basically in this order. Number one is hindrances. Number two is the five aggregates. Number three is the uh, seven factors of enlightenment. And the last and the big one is the four noble truths, including an exposition of the eightfold noble path. Now, what basically we're talking about here is one unwholesome group, which is almost everything, the hindrances, followed by things that are wholesome and worthwhile putting as objects in the mind. And each one of the hindrances, as they're, as they're mentioned in there, there is one little tiny polyphrase, in the sense of, and to be removed. And this is something that, uh, because of the way that the sutta is written, it's really easy to gloss over that, especially with Westerners who want to get to the end. They want the punch line. They want to see the bottom line. And somewhere buried deep down about two-thirds there's two words in there (laughs) that they don't that they don't hit and this is what gives rise to the Mahasi method with the 16 stages of insight including step number seven and eight where the student is going through some sort of desperation and if they go into a dark night of the soul that would be despair okay Basically, what we can say is, is that if they are in the process of trying to accept the hindrances, then they spend a lot of time going really deep into and investigating the hindrances. They literally intentionally put themselves through a dark night of the soul. Because they're not doing the actual Anapanasati practice that has the gladdening of the mind. It is actually mentioned in there. But there is no... Um, to it and because of that when the Mahasi and the Goenka method which were the first methods that actually came to the United States in Theravada form and by the way now I see on the Zen site uh, in Reddit that they're fully into this now also so the Zen has, uh, at least Western Zen has been completely influenced now by Theravada they would be better off if they were back to uh, just sitting Okay, because just sitting means without hindrances. But the Western mind has the idea that it's okay and that we're supposed to accept all of these junky, terrible thoughts. It's, so, it's okay for me to accept that I hate that guy. It's okay to, uh, to accept that I'm out buying a, a, a knife or switchblade or a gun. It's okay that I'm loading that gun and going to go pay him a visit. I accept that I've got anger in my heart and I pull the trigger. Where's the wisdom in all of that? Now we're talking about an event that might happen in real life, but it certainly happens inside the mind. And it was supposed to accept those thoughts. The Buddha doesn't teach it that way. He says, no, we have to have the relief of the freedom from the hindrances so that we don't go through a dark night of the soul. Now, that does not mean that that method doesn't work, because it is quite possible that if somebody does go through the dark night of the soul, they can come out of that dark side of the soul and say, I'm glad I did that, I'm glad I'm finished with that, I'm glad that I now I know I don't have to do that anymore. And so they then begin to get the confidence. The question is, why do they have to go so deep into dukkha before they come out of it? Why can't they just recognize immediately that this is the job to do? Let's come out of dukkha, come out of dukkha, come out of dukkha right away. We don't have to develop years of skill of meditation. In order to come out of dukkha, we can come out of dukkha simply because we know how. Okay, yeah.
1: Okay, so I have a follow-up and then something related to something we just kind of finished, but it just triggered it when you just said that so okay well i have i guess i have three questions so one is okay so all right so you're saying that the satipatthana sutta is emphasized highly in these traditions and that they're interpreted as saying just accept everything or be aware of everything without what you're saying is a small part of it that says you know, throw it out basically or... Right.
0: Okay. They're missing a lot of other suttas. Every sutta that I know of that mentions the hindrances, mentioning them with the understanding that these are to be removed. Yeah. And that it is a relief to remove them. But I see. So so in in
1: in the Satipatthana sutta, you're saying that it mentions hindrances and then it mentions other things that one should be aware of and it isn't it isn't emphasized that one should remove them and so then people say look the hindrance is here and this thing is generally just talking about mindfulness in general and so and so they don't and,
0: and so, so they just kind of lump it all together and say okay these are things that we do in the without understanding go oh, no we've got to divide this stuff into wholesome and unwholesome okay
1: okay so okay so we just said that there are that that in terms of the the serenity prayer you know the change the things you can accept the things you can't and the wisdom to know the difference well i mean what if it's the case that you know without a whole lot of developed skill that someone suppose that they're in a really bad mind state and they they put an effort to get themselves out of the mindset throughout the hindrances, but, but they don't have the skill to do that. So would you say for that person in that situation, is that an example of someone who should have equanimity to the situation because they don't have the skill yet in order to do that? Or because in the same way that like the environment can be unchangeable in this case, they don't have the tools. To change that. Or for whatever reason. There's some. Un- overwhelming thing. Should they accept it. In that case. Or should they keep. Trying to throw out. The hindrances. In that case.
0: Uh-huh. There's a tricky point. In there. And that is. Is that. That moment of time. When they are having. Acceptance. They're not. In that hindrance. But they could go. Right back. Into that hindrance. And then go back. Into accepting it again. Now the here. Here's the point. They can go through that cycle for a while, but eventually the human mind is such that he's going to stop dwelling on that. That, in fact, you know that when people get themselves into dwelling over one thing uh, or a very small group of things, that it really messes up their whole life and it can, in fact, kill them. Some people is getting money. Other people, it would be like QAnon going into conspiracy theories, and their whole life is just absorbed with that. But we're not talking about the kind of people who have that kind of absorption into a hindered mind. But rather, most people, let us say that um, they know they have to take the dog to the vet. Yeah. But they're not going to sit and dwell on having the dog take it uh, to the vet for weeks and weeks and weeks, day in and day out, and worried over it over and over again. They're either going to stop thinking about taking the dog to the vet and then occasionally reminding themselves, or they're going to take the dog to the vet. Okay, so what I'm getting at is that most people don't dwell in that dukkha in an ordinary life that something else will become distracting to them they can be sitting at their desk dwelling over how much they hate their their husband let us say as an example but then the workmate comes in and starts talking to them and they get their mind off of hating their husband we don't dwell i mean the mind is like a monkey mind it jumps all over the place So your question about, well, uh, can people get equanimity and still be caught in dukkha? The answer is, is that they're probably just going to forget about that dukkha and then revisit it at a later time, that it will go out of the mind.
1: Well, my question is, if someone is in a really negative mind state, is equanimity as a strategy
0: ever a better approach if they've tried to... Let's not talk about it as a strategy. Let's talk about it as a mind moment. How many mind moments are they going to spend thinking about being in an equanimity? And how many mind moments are going to spend in dukkha? When that balance comes, mm-hmm. so that they spend more time thinking about, oh, well, I can just forget about that, or I don't have to worry about that, or let me just accept that I'm mad at this guy, but I don't have to keep thinking about how angry I am at him. I can let it go. Okay, so it does have a quality of eventually pushing the hindrances out of the mind. I but see. wow, it's a long, slow I process. Got I get what you're saying. So you're saying that
1: equanimity, even though you don't think that equanimity is as direct an approach as one should take, in certain situations, it might be in. It might lessen. the last resort. It's a last okay. resort. That's that's what I wanted to know. Okay, so 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 it is basically just this question of, you know, there's a lot of external things that we can't control, and so one needs equanimity with that, just because like it's a waste of a- any effort to to try to change things one can't change, and in certain situations the mind might have similar properties to that. And, and when it does have similar properties to that, and I'm not referring to myself, I'm just asking it as like a theory question really at this point, okay. um, but I could, I could easily imagine maybe someday it could, I don't know. But if one is kind of struggling to throw out the hindrances, then maybe at some point after one is put in right effort, acceptance of that mind state might be a good strategy because it will eventually have a lessening effect on the hindrances.
0: Yes, but like I said, that's a long, yeah. slow way of, of doing it. Well, the better and way
1: is to get better at throwing out the hindrances
0: more, right. more directly. Right, is to recognize yeah. hindrances as hindrances.
1: Yeah.
0: Okay. Rather than, oh, I wish I didn't have to put up with all those junk thoughts. I wish I could just sit here and be equanimous, you know, equanimous yeah. or, or yeah. whatever like that. That eventually will work. Wishing one was equanimous is a whole lot better than oh I hate that guy and I'm just gonna get him. It's better to have an occasional thought of, well, let me not worry about him right now. Let me have some equanimity. Okay. That's going in the right direction. And in fact, it took Sati to wake up to that. Yeah. To recognize that I'm in I am in a mess right now. Okay. And so the next thing is, is if I want equanimity, that's beginning to gladden the mind. We're going through the stages anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I
1: mean, like, so if someone was in a really deep depression and they had really negative narratives about themselves, for example. Mm -hmm. You could imagine that there might be a scenario in which they try and they're unable to pull themselves out, but they can... See the thoughts for thoughts and be aware and not necessarily believe the story. And so that would be an example of accepting the story if one can't throw out the hindrances. And I'm talking about like severe clinical depression. I'm not talking about. No, no.
0: Severe clinical depression is just people who are too stubborn to come out of it. Severe clinical depression is nothing but just negative thoughts that people just refuse to stop having. And that's an example of, um, there is a sutta number 22 that I've talked to, to you about before. It's called the simile of the snake. And in, that, in the story of the simile of the snake, the Buddha is talking about how people grab the Dhamma the wrong way. And if you grab a snake by the wrong way, it's going to turn around and bite you. And so this is one of the ways that, uh, uh, that people are bitten by the Dhamma. And it was, um, uh, I forgot the guy's name, but he was a son of a vulture keeper. And when you have son of a fisherman and son of a vulture keeper, that's automatically a joke. You can hear the, uh, the, the joke in that, okay, that this guy is is, is stinky if his uh ancestry is is vulture um, chasers or whatever so um he had the position very much like sati except that sati was confused about rebirth and reincarnation and what consciousness was and consciousness goes from one realm to another realm experiencing the results of good and bad actions from the past he says the Buddha's reaction to this guy was the same as it was with Sati, in the sense that what this guy was saying is things that the Buddha says are obstructions are not, in fact, obstructions. Now, the word obstruction here um, is actually, there are several words in Pali that mean about the hindrances, and it's very clear that this word that uh, is translated by Uh, bhikkobodi as obstruction is in fact the hindrances where the word obstruction is used in uh, reference to the hindrances now most people would say uh, the obstructions that this guy is talking about would be just ordinary obstructions in the sense that uh oh If you're going to be a monk, you've got to be celibate. If you're going to be a monk, you have to follow this rule and that rule and the other rules and that kind of stuff, and not following the rules would be an obstruction. But no, the Buddha's not talking about following rules or lifestyles or anything like that that most people would think uh, this guy is talking about. In other words, I can go and practice what the Buddha teaches and still go off and live the lay lifestyle is the way that most people see that. But the Buddha is actually talking about, no, it's the hindrances that we're talking about here, the real obstructions. The real obstructions are uh, <clears throat> the, the thoughts that get us out living that ordinary life. And so these are the thoughts that are obstructions. And if we don't see that, then that's, that dhamma snake will bite us. And when we get thoroughly bitten, that's what they call the dark night of the soul. Is when we get thoroughly bitten by that my obstructions, my hindrances, are not actually obstructions at all. In other words, it's okay for me uh, to not even be equanimous, that I've just got all these hindrances. Let me deal with them as dealing with them in all the bad feelings that come. That's not an acceptance at all, that's a putting up with. It's kind of like the difference between the various levels. One is total warfare. Somewhere above of that is a, uh, a ceasefire. But eventually we get a, uh, a treaty which has to do with what we would call toleration. Toleration is lower than acceptance. Okay? That I can accept something and be easier with it than if I just merely tolerate it. Yeah. And so a lot of people have the idea that they have to tolerate the hindrances because they don't know how to get out of them. And the answer is you get out of it every time you remember to get out of it. If sati is the job to do not throwing out the hindrances, that's easy to do. What you're frustrated with is because you don't remember often enough to throw them out. <clears throat> so toleration is not what we're looking for, nor even higher than that acceptance. What we're looking for is something at the highest level, which would be in the Latin, it is amor fate. Now we have the word um, uh, fate, amor, you know, uh, if you know any Italian at all or seen the songs, you know, uh, amore, that's amore, okay, uh, love. Um, And fate in the Latin is actually fate. But we're talking about fate in the sense of whatever actually happens, not destiny, not predestiny. Things that we, that we're, that we should know now that's going to happen years from now is not the kind of fate that we're talking about. We're talking about whatever happens in this moment, and I can accept it joyfully, happily. Well, the only way I can do that is because I've got already a really good attitude, mm-hmm. a really good attitude of the winner so that I no longer see the hindrances as um, enemies that I'm a victim to and that I have to tolerate my victimhood and tolerate being victimized by my hindrances. Now I'm really good friends with them. And it says, ah, I see you again. Yeah, I see you coming. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so it's being in love with fate or being in love with what's going on, not merely tolerating it, But being able to be the champion of it. Yeah. So again, it's back. And the basic question is not um, that hindrances are hard to remove. They're really actually easy to remove. But they easily come right back. And then we easily remove them again. And then they easily come back. And now we get frustrated because we think we can't get rid of them. Well, yes, you did. You just got rid of it three times. You can do it again. That's the distinction that we have to look at is, is that we want things to be permanent. We want jhana to last all day long. Mm-mm, no, every mind moment is a new moment. And if I can throw that hindrance out this moment, I can throw it out the next moment. And this is a way of looking at it, that, that this is the, the hindrances just come, they come. The question is, are you sharp enough to catch it when it does? Rather than saying, Oh, I'm going to work to the point that I don't have any hindrances because we'll never get rid of them that way. That thought, in fact, is a hindrance that I'm not good enough and I have to tolerate these hindrances. And someday I won't have to tolerate them anymore and then I'll be okay. Okay. And right now we're developing the attitude of, Aha, I see you now. I'm the champion right now of these entrances. Yeah, there was something that um
1: that I liked and I was curious about your opinion on um and I still don't remember his name, but the uh, we talked about him last time. The 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 it starts with the V, Villa Ramsey. Villa Ramsey. Okay, yes. Okay. Our I'll I'll get that I'm right next time. Um he said something like you should consider that the hindrances are doing you a favor because they're letting you know where your attachments are or something like that. So he said something along the lines of I mean he's still you're still using meta as the object and whenever the hindrances come
0: you yes, release Okay the so and you he's go saying back. exactly the same thing that I'm saying is, I is think exactly so but 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 the but the
1: quote was you know You should consider that that process is doing you a favor because it's letting you identify what your attachments are and what you have to let go of. That's that was his argument. Is that do you agree with
0: that? I say that often, except Uh, that I say it in a slightly different way. And that is um, have a short list of not to do. In other words, if you know that uh, having thoughts about that particular project at work is going to get me all upset. Therefore, while I'm at home, I'm not going to think about that project. That's on a not-to-do list, okay? So he's talking about that in the same way. These things should be teachers for us. Things to get rid of or things to avoid, okay? Uh, If we don't have also that extra right effort to remove that stuff from the mind, then we have to tolerate it being there. But what we want to do is develop the joy of the knowledge that, hey, I can change any. My mind is fast mm-hmm. and I can stop thinking about that empty chair and start thinking about something else.
1: Yeah. So. So oh, yeah, I have two questions now. <laughs> OK. Uh, <laughs> um, one. Well, I'll ask the okay they're not that related but one is more related to what we're talking about now so there is this concern that a lot of people in the west have about avoidance that if you that if you like block certain thoughts for long enough that it becomes some kind of pathological thing rather than
0: accepting them so except that that's not possible It's, in fact, that they want to but are not capable of blocking those thoughts. If they were capable of blocking those thoughts, then they wouldn't be what people call suppressing them. That basically what we suppress is not thoughts. What we suppress is behavior. Okay. Okay. So, if somebody is over there, let us say two guys are here in my house fighting with each other. I can either, uh, let us say, um, and because they're fighting with each other, I'm angry that they're fighting with each other. Which means that now, because I'm angry, I can actually go join the fight. Or I can sit here listening to their fight, being angry and not saying anything. But I'm suppressing my anger, but I'm still dwelling on it. Now, could I suppress the thoughts in the sense of those guys are angry. Let me take a walk so that I don't hear them. And now I can enjoy the birds. The birds are talking so I can listen to the birds. and I don't have to listen to the yapping of these two guys arguing. Right. If I can go listen to the birds, then I have actually removed the hindrance. If I'm sitting there listening to them argue And I'm all angry and uh, want to say something, but I don't. Now I'm suppressing it. So we have to understand what we mean by suppressing. And if you can actually suppress the thought that I'm angry at these guys because uh, or that I'm feeling grumpy and that I can actually bring up joy instead, then that's not suppression. That's changing What's going on? Normally, like I said, suppression has to do with suppression of behavior. This is something that was actually tested world bigly in the 1970s. In the 1970s, they had this idea about suppression and so it's actually got started with Fritz Perls. With the concept of the empty chair that uh, in The uh, 2016 um, election, uh, I think it was Clint Eastwood made famous when he was talking about Obama being in the empty chair. But that refers back to a technique that Prince Pearl's had to where the therapist sits in one chair, the client sits in the second chair, and the third chair is there empty, and the client puts whoever he is projecting onto in that third chair and has a conversation with them with the therapist in there. Okay. So that's the concept of the empty chair. When they add new agey kind of stuff to it or other, um, people who are trained in this technique, they will get it to the point of, well, if you really are angry at your mom and have been suppressing it all these years. So they say, why don't you take this pillow and beat that pillow? Okay, and so pillow beating became popular for a while. And then the next thing was encounter groups. And there was an industry that got started. The industry was a, was batons and heavy-duty pillows and boxing gloves and all of that kind of stuff for people to finally stop suppressing their, angry, their anger and get it out. Guess what? it turned out that it didn't work so well because these guys were being pillow bashing and having mock fights and the uh, therapy session they go home and they start getting violent with their family but it turned out not to be a good idea and that whole industry with all those batons and all of that equipment that they were selling i mean it was like you know the uh the hoods that boxers uh wear when they're um Uh, In training. Yeah. They had those kind of things too. Big heavy things with cushions on the arm. And big heavy batons. And all that kind of stuff. Hoping that people could get their anger and aggression out. But do it so with these uh, soft appliances. So that nobody got hurt. The answer is. Is that once they started letting that stuff out. They'd take it home. And the people did get hurt. And the whole industry died. <clears throat> I don't know of anyone who's doing encounter groups, for instance, anymore. That that was a bad idea. So that was the age of when they talked about suppression. Why the Buddhists have picked up that word uh, as a way of justifying, uh, allowing the mind to sit in hindrances, I don't know. Because well, about there's a, a big difference between behavior that you're suppressing but you're still boiling with rage on the inside versus having that rage, see the rage, throw it out, and say, I'm okay anyway, let me not worry about it.
1: Okay, so, but getting back to, so you said that you don't suppress thoughts, but you suppress actions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, one could imagine so so you had the scenario of somebody listening to a fight and getting really angry about it and then that's they're kind of suppressing that anger or something right mhm and then one could have a similar analogy that maybe there's some kind of relationship in which somebody wants to say something to the other person but they don't say that thing to the other person so that seems to me like that's similar to the first case you gave like that that so that person is is then suppressing anger or some kind of emotion in that case so you would agree with that that use of the word suppression in that case is that yes
0: and not only that but it is valuable let us if we are angry learn to suppress that anger so that we don't open our mouth that we shut our mouth but step number two is shut down the mind and stop and stop yapping in the mind as well as stop yapping in the mouth Okay. That if you only suppress the mouth and don't suppress the mind, then that's suppression. But if you can suppress the mouth by getting the mind off of those feelings, that's not suppression, that's wisdom.
1: Okay. But then, okay, but then one could easily imagine a scenario in which somebody might not be very skilled in in the way you're phrasing it suppressing the mind and so then in that case do you think that there is a window in which having that kind of catharsis would be a useful thing to do
0: no no in fact the buddha talks about it in regard uh to in the brahmin world they had the idea that uh doing a deed Harming someone, doing something big and wrong, was like uh, chiseling something into stone. And that uh, harsh words would be like drawing in the sand, but having harsh thoughts is like drawing in the air. It doesn't mean anything. Okay, and the Buddha comes back and says, Oh no, the mind is the forerunner. You're not going to have a bad action without a bad thought to, uh, to run it. You're not going to have foul language without having a foul thought in the beginning. That in fact, when people begin to answer, um, or let us say do a comment, a Reddit comment, or a YouTube comment or something like that, they generally have the thought before they write it down. and then when they're writing it down they rephrase the thought to get it into language but the thought is uh there uh or they wouldn't have started writing in the first place so the same thing is there it's in the mind or the 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 thought wouldn't have been vocalized now they could be very quick together but the mind is still the forerunner so the suppression is when we can keep the mind boiling but we don't let the uh, uh, the lid off. And so it's just boiling on the inside. But if we take the heat off of the inside. Yeah. Yeah, but that takes more. S-
1: but that takes more skill. And it I does. wasn't. Re- it certainly I wa- does. That's okay, why I was re-
0: practicing.
1: <laughs> I wasn't referring to a scenario in which someone would yell at the other person. I was referring to maybe someone would say. I don't know. I mean, I'm making up a scenario now, but like, I don't know. Something n- not yelling. Something like they would just kind of say, "Well, you know, this this happened, and this like they would explain or something like that." That would be like the reverse of. I I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to use a, a scenario that there's harsh speech involved. I guess what I'm saying is, you don't think that there exists like a c- catharsis that is a useful. Thing that would alleviate some kind of pressure for somebody who doesn't have the skill
0: to just stop the thoughts. Um, let's use this scenario. Imagine that three different people got stopped by the cop, or maybe four. The first guy, he hates getting stopped. And when that cop comes to the door, he's going to let that cop have it. What the hell are you doing out here? I've got First Amendment rights. You're out here um, uh, uh, on a sting operation. Why don't you go back to your uh, barracks or go back to your police station and behave yourself? You don't belong out here on the road. I've got my rights, okay? That guy's going to have a lot of trouble. He should keep his mouth shut, but he doesn't, okay? Okay. The next guy has all of those same thoughts, but he's kind of kind to the officer. He's still grumbling under his breath. And then when he drives home, he lets his rage out to his wife. I got stuck today, and those cops, they ought to stay in their barracks. They don't need to be out here on the road with a sting operation. And he's dumping on his wife. So now he's got all of this stuff built up. The other possibility would be for that guy, instead of taking it home and giving it to his wife, he can sit there in the car after the cop leaves. Or maybe after he drives off, he can let out a yell like, oh, oh, why did he have to do that to me? And kind of get it over with and get it out of his mind. Okay, And then the place that we're looking with is, is that, okay, I got stopped. I can handle that. I could pay that ticket. It's only three or four hundred dollars. It doesn't happen often. I probably won't lose any points, or it's no big deal if I do, and I'm okay. Then when I get home, hey, I got a ticket today, and look how good I feel because I'm not too worried about it. Okay, so these are the four levels that we can go on. The question is, um, you can you can actually rank them. That it would be better for him to let his rage out rather than taking it home and then (laughs) letting it out to his wife. Uh But it would be better for him, in fact, to have gotten over it before the cop actually told him to roll down his window. Yeah. He can okay. start his eye upon Asati as soon as he sees that light behind him, and he's taking a yeah, deep okay. breath and says, "I can handle this. It doesn't matter what this cop wants. I can do it. I can handle this."
1: Yeah. So this is so this is kind of exactly kind of what I was asking about. So if if the person happens not to have the skill to do number four, doing number three is better than doing number one or number two. Obviously. Right. one. Okay. All right.
0: I yes. Think I right. If number three, if number three is letting it out into the car rather than letting it out onto his wife, letting it yeah. out letting his wife hold it and letting the cop hold it is not the right way to do it. Letting his rage out in a scream and getting over it before he gets home is much superior than keeping it up and then letting it out with in front of his wife. Or even if okay. he didn't have a wife, just. Yelling in the car. Carrying it around, exactly, and still thinking about it and still raging yeah. in his mind over it and not letting it out. Exactly, yeah. okay. As opposed to um, getting it out, getting it over with, which would be the way that you're talking about, would that be the answer is yes. If you've got the rage, go ahead and let it out, get it over with so long as you're doing it in a place and a time where it's uh, not going to be causing yourself or others dukkha to get over it then in fact you could in fact get over it without letting that out without letting that rage out you yeah. can just say eventually okay well I can pay for this if there's only three or four hundred dollars I can I can afford that no big deal we don't have to go get a lawyer we don't have to go contest the case we can just pay the fine and I can forget about it Okay, he can have that kind of thought. that would be number five, but the best one of all would be uh that I can handle this before the officer ever knocks on the window,
1: yeah, okay, so okay, so I have two more I, my I always get an extra question whenever, so one question I think would be a really long answer. The other one will probably also be a really long answer. I can say both of them and then you can either choose one of them or neither of them or both of them. If you can do it,
0: (laughs) I've got a third option and that is why don't we finish this call? This is a long call and we can take each one of those questions or together both of them on the next call. All right. Sounds good. And I know that this is all wrapped up together. It's they're kind of
1: related. They're kind of not related, but
0: Okay, well, if they're not kind of related, then let's do it at, uh, tomorrow or the next day or, or whatever. All right. And I'm really glad to see you up and doing it again. And I want to make sure that we've emphasized at the end of this uh, conversation that you can congratulate yourself and feel really good that, hey, you can do this. You do not have to suppress your bad feelings. You can just throw them out. Yeah, my questions about
1: that are mostly... Um, <laughs> just trying for my own understanding more than for my own behavior. I'm just trying to understand kind of the, um, yeah, your teaching versus what I've heard Western teachers teach. I'm just trying to understand kind of the differences basically. And this, this thing about mind state has become a lot more clear to me. Like I've told you in the last few weeks in terms of the wholesome thoughts and that kind of thing. And so Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's just kind of, um, it's more, I don't want to say theoretical, because it's not just theoretical, but it's me just trying to understand more than that I have specific issues, if that makes sense.
0: Bandler and Grinder in their um, teachings on NLP talk about the map that we have in the mind, which would be the intellectual understanding of something, and the territory, which would be the reality of the situation, or a deeper level of understanding? Okay, so we've got this map. All we've got from the Buddha is a map. The point that's so beautiful is, is how nicely this map maps right onto the territory of the human mind. But it's not perfect. No map is perfect. The map is not the territory. Couldn't possibly be. Yeah. But the but the map and the way that the mind works as described by the Buddha is sufficient for us to find our way around our own mind in reality if we choose to go do that investigation. Mm-hmm. But the roadmap from the Buddha is very handy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Oh I mean this this relates to my question that I'm gonna ask, so I'll ask it next time.
0: Okay. All right. All right. All right, well we'll see you later, Dan.
1: Yeah, this has been good. an
0: enjoyable talk. I really want to congratulate you again that you're you're moving along. Yep. All right. <laughs> see you. Well, hey Poom pooie Dog. How's the pulley, pulley puppy?